I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know, journalists, insiders, all of whom can break down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Listen now. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we'll smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will enter trial by content and decide the true answer for all time. Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez, and I started in the blog era of covering pop culture on sites like Latino Review, The Bad and Ugly, and Geek.com. Nowadays, I'm still one of the co-hosts and founders of the Fighting in the War Room podcast and have professional internet opinions on all things intellectual property. I'm Joanna Robinson. You might have heard me elsewhere on the Ringer Network, on the Ringerverse, or the Prestige TV podcast. I do a lot of shows around here. I used to do a couple shows with Dave and Neil covering Game of Thrones and Lost. Uh, so we've been, you know, yelling at each other for almost a decade now. It's, get, it's getting up there. And I'm Neil Miller. And as Joanna just said, uh, we've been podcasting together for a long time. I've also been the uh, founder and proprietor of a little website called Film School Rejects and a Twitter account that some people may have heard of called One Perfect Shot, which is about to become a TV show on HBO Max. And I think that's pretty wild. This week, we're rounding up the usual suspects of Gotham City and pitting them against each other in a podcast no man's land to decide once and for all who is Batman's greatest antagonist. You might have heard a lot of Bat content on the Ringer Podcast Network this uh, this past week. It's because we're all a little Bat-obsessed. Uh, but one thing that is so interesting about Batman, we've been ranking movies we've been ranking various batman actors like that's happening all over but one thing that's always interesting about a batman story is who is going to be in the cocktail mix when it comes to villains 
There's usually a bat person. There's usually a Batmobile in a Gotham City. But who are going to be the villains here? And one thing that's really fun about a bat comic and a bat movie and a bat TV show is usually they don't settle on just one. Usually, you know, it's the rogues gallery. We've got a cat. We got a Joker. We got a Riddler. We got all kind of stuff. There's a lot of classic, classic villains banging around. We will narrow it down, though, to just one. We're not going to settle for the rogues gallery. We're going to pick the best. If you've seen Matt Reeves, the Batman, you know that you could pick from Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, Paul Dano's Riddler, Colin Farrell's Penguin, John Turturro's Falcone or Falcone, depending on how Italian you decide to be. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's that's in the mix here. So before we get into the fight, and I'm so ready to fight you guys, uh, Neil, what are the rules here? Well, Joanna, I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, each of your faithful hosts will have one minute to present some opening remarks. Then we will get into cross-examination. And then we'll bring in some submissions from our wonderful listeners. Uh, the rules for this one are fairly simple. Your chosen antagonist must be a character from any of the films or TV shows in which Batman appears. Uh, you must also choose a specific representation of the antagonist. So it's not enough to just say the Joker. You got to tell us which one. And before we get into our opening statements, this is where we like to uh, do some honorable mentions and name uh, what we like to call the category crown. Uh, the category crown for this one, when we think about antagonists to Batman, goes, I think, to Bruce Wayne himself, who isn't quite a villain, but he is always in Batman's way. In There's some... something in the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, since we're doing for the uh, the ultimate trial, we're doing human character, well, characters at least, uh, we wanted to put in uh, some honorable mentions for the concepts division. So these are some antagonistic concepts that plague Batman. Uh, and I've done a top three for you. The first one, the smell of guano in the Batcave. That has got to be annoying for Batman. The second one, Alfred's desire to see Bruce Wayne settle down and start a family. Sorry, Alfred, that is never <laughs> happening. That's my favorite part whenever Alfred's like, oh, 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 who is this, Master Wayne? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and a new one, uh, inspired by the 2022 Matt Reeves film, is the Spanish language. Apparently really trips Batman up. Uh, so <laughs> those are some concepts. But uh, I think it's time that we get into our real debate here. So here are the rules. Each host is going to have one minute to give an initial pitch for their choice before we get to spar a little bit. Usually the winner of last week's trial will get the option to pick who goes first. But for our inaugural pod, Neil and I are gentlemen, so Joanna chooses if she goes first or if one of us is a lamb to the slaughter. I love this uh, chivalry slash uh, retrograde gender politics. I am going to pick <laughs> first uh, to the slaughter because I don't want him swooping in with like a surprise to dazzle people at the end um, is Dave Gonzalez. When Bat 
Batmania hit in 1989, the Joker as a character was changed back to a criminal from just a clown through Jack Nicholson's quirky performance that introduced new audiences to a version of the character that was directly responsible for killing the Waynes. Only the strongest of performances could follow that turn, and we're lucky it did, because Batman the Animated Series introduced us to the Joker as portrayed by Mark Hamill. Instead of a lucky farm boy, Luke Skywalker is the chosen one when it comes to portraying the Joker. Rather than having a trademark laugh, Hamill auditioned with multiple laughs from fiendish wails of guffawing glee to a menacing growling chuckle. Hamill's Joker has the range, and his interpretation of the character racks up dozens of appearances across TV, movies, and video games, never getting stale. Hamill's Joker took a fall into Ace Chemical's vat, like other Jokers, but this animated version grew beyond the many Batman villains caused by Batman to become a true antagonist, the counterpoint to Kevin Conroy's Batman in every situation, a true clown prince of chaos. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, like, how do we decide who goes second, though? Dave, you decide who goes next. Oh, I think uh, in order to continue what I think will hopefully be opening arguments that end in an impression, I'm going to pick Neil. <laughs> Excellent. I, my friends, have brought a series of questions. Which of these other antagonists that we're going to talk about were born in the darkness? <laughs> Which of them were molded by it? Have any of these other antagonists actually broken the bat? Which of them is an anti-corruption revolutionary who proposes radical solutions to systematic injustice? <laughs> and which of these antagonists has ever actually killed Batman as far as the people of Gotham know? It's only one. And it's Bane! <laughs> Tom Hardy's Bane from The Dark Knight Rises uh, is the most accomplished and obviously the best Batman antagonist. Bold of you to pick Bane when Mallory went to bat for Bane on the Ringerverse and crashed and burned with it. So I mean, listen, I'm great minds think try. alike and enter into the trial by content fearlessly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of other places we've talked about Batman, you've heard me talk about this character and this specific portrayal for about a week now. Um, but and I thought about going in a different direction, but I I just can't stop. I can't help myself. Uh, we got to talk about Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Catwoman, like the Joker, has been around since the beginning of Batman comics. She's a key, key part of the Bat saga, the Bat story. But unlike these other characters that act in opposition to Batman, the thing that's really interesting about Catwoman in general and Michelle Pfeiffer specifically is the way in which she sometimes allies with, sometimes is opposed to Batman, oftentimes pulls on his darker impulses in a way that none of these other characters do. All these other characters do is keep Batman in a sort of rigid one note space. Whereas Catwoman's like, Hey, Bruce Wayne, <laughs> Hey, Peter Parker, what else do you got going on underneath that cowl? Um, she's outrageous. She's sexy. She's unforgettable. She's probably the reason why Batman returns is our new Batman, Robert Pattinson's favorite Batman movie. It's Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Meow. I was hoping you would go over there so I'd cut you off, but perfectly timed, Joanna. <laughs> I think that means we now get to clash in some cross-examination as, you know, less less combat-y trials have, but content-y trials have a lot of. Here's here's the question I have. Let's let's start with with Joanna. Mm, mm. 
I agree that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is an interesting spin on uh, a Batman antagonist. Uh, but if I remember that movie correctly, she isn't primarily a Batman antagonist. She's out to get somebody else. She's out uh, for her own type of vengeance. She is sometimes an antagonist, sometimes in his way. She scratches the hell out of him with her claws. Um, he might not be her primary target, but if he's standing in her way, she's going to do what she needs to do to get through him. So she's still mm. on the antagonist side of things, especially historically, Dave, not to like put off people who haven't heard you talk about antagonism for many years like I have, <laughs> but you have a very fluid definition of antagonist and we all know it. So now's not the time I feel to like get particular. If by fluid you mean the initially as broad as it's supposed to be, which is in opposition to the protagonist, I feel like that is a correct assertion that I will own. And that is something that my nomination encompasses all of all the time rather than just some of sometimes. Here's the question that I have. And, and Neil, I, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. Like, mm -hmm. can we really fairly rate a voice performance up against two full-bodied live-action performances that are not just doing things with their mouth, which, by the way, phrasing, but which, by the way, both Michelle Pfeiffer and Tom Hardy are definitely doing extreme voice performances. They're absolutely doing that. But they're also doing a huge amount of physicality as well. We'll get to Bane, but Michelle Pfeiffer in the vinyl suit with the whip and all of that, like, it is a full, full, full-body performance. Whereas Mark Hamill, much respect, is just standing in a, in a, in a booth, cackling yeah. into a microphone. I mean, I love this point because it helps both of us. Mm -hmm. And it is true that Mark Hamill did not need to get extremely yoked in order to play uh, the animated Joker, as Tom Hardy did for his role in The Dark Knight Rises. But there's another issue. And I think this is going to be a theme for a lot of these other antagonists who are not Bane. Often what we're describing when we talk about the Joker or Catwoman is not just an antagonist, but sort of a love interest. You know, Batman's second greatest love interest, Catwoman, and then the true great love of his life, the Joker. Bane, my guy, is only here to wreck stuff. He is only here to break Batman. He is, he is a, you know, his love is someone else. He doesn't love Batman secretly, like all these other characters. Uh, so what, what I, when I think of antagonist, I think of someone who's looking to do some real damage, not only to Batman, but to the symbol of Batman. And, you know, I think that's important, important to remember. Bane, Bane definitely does some damage to the symbol of Batman, but then his plot continues after that because ultimately he's in service to the League of Shadows, whereas I feel like... He is the League kind of, of Shadows. <laughs> I have, it's sort of the same problem I have with Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. There's ulterior motives. When the Joker shows up, the Joker is showing up to mess with Batman for the most part, uh, there are occasional things in the animated series like uh, Joker's Favor, where a completely random character uh, cuts off the Joker in traffic and he exacts that character as a piece of his greater puzzle to do Batman uh, wrong or to have Batman, um, his greater esteem in the eyes of the people of Gotham, be lowered in any sort of way. He doesn't want to be compared to Batman, but every one of his actions is in somehow a way to uh, jab at Batman. Mm. Sure. But to Joanna's point, yeah. which I still like, yeah. Um, I think that if you... If your antagonist performance can be done in sweatpants, which yeah. is something I know you can do as a longtime podcaster, 
Maybe it's not the best. It's great. I love Mark Hamill's voice. Follow-up question for you, Neil. Um, sure. Speaking of voices, are you an effective antagonist if much of the viewing audience can't even understand what you're saying most of the time? I mean, if you're a huge guy... If if you are not only an antagonist in a Batman movie, but also an actor working with a world-class ADR uh, department on your uh, film... Then yeah, I think it's fine because in the end we all understand. It's about the voice performance. No, in the end it's about the voice performance. I understand what you're saying completely, Neil. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly though, Tom Hardy's Bane could have said nothing and still been a pretty good antagonist. Okay, I have another question. If your if your idea of what an antagonist should be is someone who eats away at the very core of who Batman is, would we not think? That most describes Selena Kyle, the one character who always gets the closest to getting Batman to hang up his cowl for good, for him to abandon a life of crime and want to settle down and and leave the city. I mean, some versions of Selena Kyle, the one in the movie that I'm talking about, yes, but I don't know if Michelle Pfeiffer's Selena Kyle is is that tied to Batman. She's got her own mission. He's he's just a toy to play with along the way. You know, she's I out here both, trying I, to take Max Shrek down, and for good reason. That well, guy sucks. That's only one life. Got several other <laughs> sure. to spend with Batman as the post. And here's a follow up question for you guys: Have either of your villains been so popular that the studio had to do reshoots just in order to insert a silhouette of your character at the end of their movie? Yes, and it was called Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, that's not my villain. That's just my character. <laughs> Different Joker. <laughs> Different Joker. I, I, I take that point, and I like what you guys are both talking about, about how your villains ultimately had the way of uh, making Batman not be Batman, but that sounds like a major villain that would be a, a antagonist to this Bruce Wayne Batman or the Bruce Wayne Batmans of their particular era. If you uh, follow the animated Joker, he doesn't usually learn that Bruce Wayne has anything to do with Batman. He's pure out to get Batman. And because of that, he could get transferred over into other series even, like Batman Beyond, where suddenly there's a Joker and he's as menacing to whoever carries the title of the Batman at the time even though he doesn't even matter to him if Bruce Wayne does anything. So what you're saying is that your Batman, your your antagonist doesn't even really need Batman. He's not oh, even no, that he interested. Don't. He only needs Batman. <laughs> He's like, I can go over here. I have a follow-up question for you. Because Mark Hamill has voiced the Joker, as you, as you mentioned, in many different properties. But there's such a world of difference between... Mark Hamill's Joker in the animated series and Mark Hamill's Joker in like the killing joke. The animated series is a kid's show where this Joker can't really kill. He can only like gas people and have them like smile in a rictus sort of way. Whereas we all know what the Joker got up to in the killing joke and it was horrifying. So like, is this one character that you are arguing here for? Or is this an entire spectrum of Jokers? And if that is the case, is it even fair to stack that up against a singular performance for other actors. Oh, it seems like something we should have brought up earlier in the rules segment, but <laughs> since you pointed out my other dominance, I will say if I need, if forced to pick, yeah. I think um, Batman the Animated Series, his portrayal there encompasses 
all sides of the polyhedron that I think makes a fantastic Joker. You have uh, episodes like The Laughing Fish, where he uses the Joker gas, very much like the movie because people were used to that, but to turn fish into sort of like clown Joker fish, and then his brilliant capitalism-based move is to trademark that so all the fishermen have to pay him to sell his Joker fish. I think that's great. But if we're talking specifically about an antagonist point to Batman, he uh, there's an episode called The Man Who Killed Batman where Batman in a ruse to figure out who's at the top of a crime scheme pretends that this uh, nothing gangster named Sid the Squid has killed him, which draws out the Joker who ends up eulogizing Batman while killing uh, Sid the Squid. And he basically says that without Batman, he has no reason to live. And I feel like it's the Joker's recognizing his distinct counterpoint as a Batman antagonist and maybe nothing else. I think what's going to be tough for you in the end of the day here, Dave, is that your Joker isn't even the most popular Joker. That's going to be tough. Yeah, well, (laughs) we haven't heard from the listeners yet. So right now, in this particular uh, arena, I'm feeling very strong about myself. Oh, yeah, you're doing good so far. Don't worry, bud. I will say, though, maybe in order to, uh, you know, batten my hatches a little bit against the oncoming storm, uh, and maybe also to answer uh, some things you've thrown against me, Joanna, I think that maybe an animated antagonist has more that they can do than a live-action antagonist. I, I love the looks of both of your picks, and I am, you know, in love with the clip of Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> using a bullwhip in one take. Absolutely great. Mm -hmm. But those characters were formed for specific movies to be very physically intimidating presence. The Joker can be a, you know, head of a trial of Batman and his rogues galleries, or he could be the singular antagonist that has a a bevy of gadgets and a crowbar. I feel like that uh, sort of uh, fluidity is actually more freeing so he could catch Batman no matter what the Cape Crusader tries. I have a question, um, a really, really important question here for both of you. Did either of your characters and or the actors portraying them ever hold a live bird in their mouth for multiple takes while on the set of their project? Shelf I for Porgs sure aren't did. alive, right? So probably not. <laughs> yeah, that's a good... I mean, in terms of working with animals, I can't think of a uh, notable thing. Except, you know, the... The Joker does have uh, Bud and Lou, his two hyenas that eventually become uh, Harlequins. Oh, yeah. My, my villain also spawns uh, cooler villains than your guys'. It's just off the side. Mm. He's just sprinkling cool villains. Mm. I think in a post-Harley Quinn animated series, we're not giving the Joker credit for the existence of Harley Quinn. I mean, right. you can't get Batman the Animated Series uh, Joker credit for being the first Joker to interact with Harley Quinn and set up the relationship. I wouldn't necessarily give, like, I don't know, Heath Ledger's Joker any responsibility for the rise in Harlequin-ness. I think that's a Margot Robbie thing. Neither here sure. nor there, says I. Harley sure. Quinn's not even on the menu, boys. <laughs> let's let's get back to this bird in the mouth question. Yeah, that Joanna raised earlier, and I don't think it's Worth fair to bring that up. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> because listen, Bane—he's obviously had a very rough life in the pit, <laughs> um, and he's—you know—he needs his breathing device. He needs his mask in order to breathe and not feel pain and to be jacked. And so he couldn't get that bird in his mouth if he tried. <laughs> 
So without, I know, without I, I don't see enduring that as a intense pain. That's still um, a limitation. I just don't think it's fair to to ask him to do something like that. You know, he's scary enough. <laughs> it would definitely also kill the bird. Sure. <laughs> Remember that part at the end of the movie where Talia is just like delicately putting his little tubes back in his breathing device. Mm-hmm. That's a weak villain, honestly. I don't know. I I actually love the fact that Bane's you know core relationship that drives Bane. Um, is is more than just like a hatred for Batman or finding Batman to be his, uh, you know, the opposite side of the coin, right? When you think about the Joker and Batman. Um, Bane is really driven by ideology and the fact that he's a protector of children and the fact that he's a great stepdad to Talia al definitely just like killed tons of people. You know, you can't, right? Are you trying to like advocate that mass murderer Bane is a, is a kindly, cuddly, Yes, and here's uh, another villain. reason why. Because in that movie, the football team, the Gotham, or the, the Gotham Rogues, Gotham Knights, I forget what the, the football team's name was, uh, was the, in real life, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Bane not only uh, took over Gotham, he also murdered Ben Roethlisberger, who's like my least favorite NFL player of all time. <laughs> I can't believe you're pandering to the crowd with a sports reference. Yeah, moment. these people know. <laughs> I mean, I will say, uh, Neil, uh, both my and Joanna's antagonists are a bit more fun than yours on the uh, actual people murdered scale. Sure. I feel. Like, I, I, have, nothing, I have nothing that makes me feel uh, bad that Max Shrek gets a taser french kiss at the end of uh, batman returns exactly what he and deserved i don't think my guy actually kills anybody in the animated series which uh thank you joanna for allowing a, me to limit children? it to, to not <laughs> to not the killing for children, children. <laughs> are we going to talk about whether or not batman should be for children because i have memories of you know being in las vegas with my parents and my mom and dad are like keeping watch over me and my brother but me and my brother won't leave the gift shop because there's batman returns toys and we're aware of batman because of batmania in 1989 so i feel like coming out of 89 you get joanna's villain you get my villain i was definitely a kid when i took both of those in so definitely for children what what age do you have to be to intake bane Depends on <laughs> depends on your bane, honestly, because well, yeah. let, let, let me just put another another uh, point in uh, for for Dave and for myself, which is that at least the other versions of our characters glorify our characters, whereas Bane in uh, Batman and Robin, uh, who is Poison Ivy's chauffeur and wears a little hat, puts shame shame uh. on your corner, Neil. I don't think we need to talk about that version of Bane. I think that the definitive, and here's the other thing, is your version the definitive version? And I think that's probably true for Joanna's pick. It's a little more questionable with Dave's pick. It's definitely true with my pick. Tom Hardy's Bane is so definitive that when you watch something like the Harley Quinn animated show, the voice of Bane that James Adomian is doing is similar to the Tom Hardy voice. We're never going to see another portrayal of Bane that's like what we got in Batman and Robin. You know what's kind of interesting is that Mark Hamill's Joker voice is based on Cesar Romero's Joker, which is kind of interesting. I mean... If we're talking about who's derivative of what, what has Catwoman contributed to the Harlequin animated series? 
There's a great Catwoman in the Harley Quinn anime. (laughs) But not one that's based off of uh, characters uh, established by either of our villains. That's because there's no touching the stitched together vinyl S&M glory that is Michelle Pfeiffer. No one before, no one since will ever do They tried because they were, everyone was like, Michelle Pfeiffer, this is so great. Let's make a spinoff movie with her. And they kept it going and they kept it going. We eventually got that spinoff movie, but it starred Holly Berry and not Michelle Pfeiffer. And we all know kind of how that works. I really yeah, was hoping one. no one would bring up Holly Berry. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it time for the listener submission? <laughs> oh, once we get to Halle Berry, that's how we know we're ready to go. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. we go guys we have polled you the listeners to get your nominations we have three that we are going to read off here we're going to have to narrow those three down to one to face off with us in our four-person poll here we go i'm going to start off this one comes from dan james who says the music meister from the mayhem of the music meister this is another animated series villain a villain that makes everyone part of a musical brilliant Are there music and bat puns in the lyrics? Absolutely. Is he voiced by Neil Patrick Harris? Who else could have possibly been the right choice? Not to mention it would make for an easy transition music selection. So we have the music meister. With love and respect to Dan, I do not know how the music meister got in here before like a bunch of other high level Batman villains. But um, I like a wild card choice. Okay, my submission comes from Jesse, who has submitted Aaron Eckhart as Two-Face slash Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. The, Jesse writes, the best Batman antagonists serve as mirrors to Bruce and how he could have turned out. We see Dent before as an ideal candidate for helping Gotham in a way Bruce can't as Bruce or as Batman. He is what Bruce could have been if he was more like his father, but he has one bad day and loses, I'm just going to add, and loses half his face and uh, <laughs> it, all, it all goes south from there. So that's, uh, that's Jesse's submission. Yeah, tough break for Harvey Dent. (laughs) 
Uh, well, and I have the honor of reading the one that I think a lot of people have probably been waiting for as they've been listening to the first half of this podcast. This comes from Chris. Chris submits Heath Ledger's Joker. And Chris says, to me, Batman's greatest antagonist has to be the Heath Ledger version of the Joker, primarily because I think Ledger taps into something more deeply menacing and uncontrollable that we hadn't seen from the character in previous on-screen portrayals. I remember reading a review of the film when it came out describing Ledger's performance as lizard-like, and I think that's where his version of the Joker plunges to, de to a depraved depth the others don't quite reach. Ledger's Joker is, in a way, a manifestation of the id, fueled entirely by impulse and desire and immediate gratification, except perhaps even more frightening because he doesn't even have the basic survival instinct traditionally associated with the concept. Even when his ferry boat bomb plan at the end of the film is foiled by the goodness of the people of Gotham, he's only disappointed for a moment. He still had fun setting it up. He still had fun tormenting Batman along the way. And he had fun terrifying the people of the city and fomenting fear and chaos. Even Batman killing him would be a victory in the Joker's book because it proves that an uncivilized barbaric act is the only way to stop him. I think it's his inability to be truly defeated that sets the Dark Knight version of the Joker apart and makes him Batman's greatest antagonist. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, that's a lot of good arguments Chris, for the Joker overall. Chris, pretty smart. Um, I guess, well, one thing that we haven't brought up yet that I think is interesting in all of this is like, is it fair to judge any of these Jokers or any, sorry, any of these villains independently because they are so important for how they interact with specific and very different Batman. So we have Michael Keaton, Keaton's Batman, Kevin Conroy's Batman, and a double dose of the Bale Batman um, in, in the mix here. And that sort of like changes the game a little bit, right? In terms of like, if we think of a villain in, in opposed to a Batman, or as Jesse mentioned with Harvey Dent, sort of in mirror to Batman, then the Batman himself is going to make a huge difference in terms of what we're talking about here. Yeah, I think a lot of like at the core of what makes a Batman antagonist, at least stereotypically, is he's either mirroring the bat or Batman in some way created him mm. as a byproduct of vigilantism gone extreme. Ooh, a real Tony Stark moment for Batman. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, there's the, definitely what pops out to me uh, from Heath Ledger's Joker is how much I associate him as a specific type of chaos that needs to represent anarchy before uh, the Batman essentially plunges that trilogy into a basically a fascistic version of Batman. There has to be an id at that point in Nolan's trilogy that the Joker splits off of. I don't know how well it would have focused. Uh, it would have worked if uh, the Joker ever had to exist outside of the Dark Knight. That story is so specifically made for that performance. Hmm. And I think what's interesting, and I mean, it's it's a wild thought experiment to put like you know Tom Hardy's Bane into the Burton verse or Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman into um, the the Nolan verse or even Mark Hamill's Joker into any of it. Um, I think the closest we got was that episode of The Flash, right? Um, but I think that, um, I don't know, I think I think all of that's really makes it hard, this whole thought experiment of comparing villains. It makes it hard because these are such different, like, bat 
bat pools to play in. You know what I mean? But it's it's hard to argue with Ledger's Joker because one of the most iconic film performances of all time, a thing that elevated comic book performances to a new level because of the Oscar win there. And of course, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he he walked so Joaquin Phoenix could run uh, behind him with a similar win. I, I heard someone someone on Twitter the other day uh, brought up the idea that like if if we were living in the current climate, Michelle Pfeiffer absolutely would have been nominated for an Oscar and probably in like a category fraud in the supporting actress. And she probably would have won. And I'm like, I think that's probably true, but that's not the world we lived in when Michelle Pfeiffer was Catwoman. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Ledger's Joker. It's, it's hard to argue against it. It's very difficult to argue against, but I'm going to give it a try. Okay. Hit me. Here's a couple. And I, I will preface this before uh, Twitter explodes all over me. Um, phrasing to say that this is one of my favorite performances in any movie, not just in a Batman movie. Um, the problem is there's no finality to it, right? There's something about Heath Ledger's Joker and Christian Bale's Batman where they realize toward the end of the movie that they, they really kind of need each other. Right. In order to in order to exist and become the full versions of themselves. So Batman could never get rid of or kill this version of the Joker. And likewise, the Joker is never going to get rid of uh, and and kill him. I also think it comes this specific uh, version of the Joker comes with the sadness that we never got to see continuing adventures. Right. We never got to see them do this for the rest of their lives uh, like they said they wanted to at the end of The Dark Knight. My guy, Bane. He is here to end stuff. He's here to end Batman. He's here to end Gotham. He's not playing like a long game where we're going to have this fun relationship forever. He's got a bomb and a mask and some muscles, and that's really all you need. So I think it's the lack of sort of closure, finality to the Heath Ledger Joker that I think works against him. But as Joanna said, it's, it's hard to argue against because as... Chris, our listener, uh, mentioned there is this wonderful quality of sort of floating or slithering through his lines that Heath Ledger does, where you can just sort of see his mind working out where he's going next and sort of making weird left turns mid-sentence. And uh, he also kills a guy with a pencil in one of the most (laughs) fun scenes in the history of killing people. Uh, on screen and uh, so that's that's hard to work against but uh yeah i mean the the worst part about uh heath ledger's joker is that we didn't get more i mean yeah here's here's what i'll say and i think you've you've really beautifully set up an argument against yourself ultimately here neil oh no i think at the end of the day there are two iterations of villains that bat stories just cannot let go of and it's the joker and it's catwoman who have been there from the beginning and the only time the catwoman wasn't there was because the comics code authority thought she was too sexy and cool and got her out of the comics joker stayed around you could just make him a clown and that's fine but catwoman she's she's too outrageous to to be around in the 50s but i do think the Catwoman and the Joker are these two forces that are forever surrounding Batman and Bane. Tom Hardy's Bane, as as much as I love doing the impression, feels like a, an anomaly and not a sort of an indelible mm. mark. Do you know you what say I mean? anomaly, I think singular. 
<laughs> right? Your your choices are versions of the character, but done over and over and over again. And everybody kind of has their favorite one. And when it comes to Bane, I can't think of any other live action movie Banes that have ever existed that would be worth talking about. <laughs> Definitely not wearing a weird hat there, at some point. <laughs> right? There is something extremely fresh and singular about Tom Hardy's Bane to the point where I think he can he really could only exist in one movie and he went out on top, uh, sort of. I don't really love the way he ends, but I also think that there's plenty of room for Bane to not be dead. You know, it's the end of Christopher Nolan's trilogy. He knew it. He didn't need to give us a... He, they didn't need to go back and reshoot Bane standing up on top of a building in Gotham to promise that Bane's going to be in the next movie. Um, but if they were going to make a fourth movie, I think he might have survived. Should That's my these, other hot take. Do we have these debates going forward? Just let Neil monologue because I feel like he just talked a lot of people out of his own pick. <laughs> 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 yeah. Every bit of work that I don't have to do seems like a positive to me. But I guess we should we should move forward a little bit. We're talking a lot about the Heath Ledger Joker. So I'm going to guess that although the Music Meister is a whole bunch of fun, not really broad enough in terms of what we're when we're thinking of greatest. Good Batman villain? Absolutely. Greatest Batman antagonist? I think Music Meister is going to get kicked off the pole. Yeah, he's down there with like Condiment King and the Calendar Guy. It's there's, oh, no, there's no, no, like no. a level. Those aren't those aren't bad. I like that, or Man. even on the equal, yeah, I'm just equal saying, level. Irrelevant. Uh, <laughs> Keep going, Neil. Keep turning the audience against you. Here's what I'll say about yeah, you just lost a bunch of uh, comics people. Here's bunch what I'll of say music about, meister fans out there. <laughs> here's what I'll say about Harvey Dent. Uh Jesse makes a great argument, and I think there's a lot of potential here for that character, but he's just existing in the long shadow of Heath Ledger's Joker in that movie, and part of Part of the movie that feels messier than it needs to be. I think it was a mistake to make Harvey Dent like an antagonist to Bruce Wayne. When the whole point of Harvey Dent is like, it's a sorrowful loss of a friend. I think it was a really odd move to make him, uh, you know, a romantic rival instead. Though it does make Batman's ultimate sacrifice in his honor, like, that much more noble, I suppose. But maybe if Aaron Eckhart had got to be the lead of lead villain of any movie, maybe we could put him here. But he's he's second fiddle, right? Yeah, he's he's just too short-lived. It takes him too much of the movie to become Two-Face. And while I really enjoy Aaron Eckhart's performance and am still someone who likes the digital effects of the Two-Face uh, like makeup. That digital effect's doing most of the work once sure. it gets to actual antagonism. Uh, or at least I can't remember other things and being grossed out by tendons. But uh, like... <laughs> Grossed out by tendons, the Harvey Dent story. Uh, so it's two jokers, a cat, and uh, I guess a bane on the, on I, the pole here. I guess a bane? <laughs> I guess a bane. Come on. <sighs> well, don't worry, Neil. You're going to have one more time to uh, make your case uh, before we throw to our final polls. We have definitely a lot on Heath Ledger's Joker side on our listener submission from Chris. We are going to get some final statements for our own. Once again, if you would like it, you have up to a minute to make your final uninterrupted statements that we don't have time to counterpoint because it's the end of the show. And we get to start where we ended uh, with Joanna going first. Okay, here's what I'll say. In this modern age of superhero storytelling, uh, when we think about our favorite villains, if we think about like 
a Loki or um, other villains. (laughs) (laughs) Killmonger. Um, A part of what makes them so compelling is seduction. You are seduced by the evil as you are watching it. And I think there is no one with apologies to Heath Ledger's, like, whatever he's doing with his tongue uh, in in his performance, with apologies to the cartoon that is Mark Hamill, with the apologies to the mask face that is Bane. There's no one more seductive than Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. She will pull you to the dark side, and that's what makes her our strongest antagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil. All right. Here's what makes a great villain. Someone who gets shit done. Bane's to-do list, a lot of great things. Break Batman. Take over Gotham. Murder a bunch of people. Kill Batman. He's an accomplished antagonist. He is the, you know, massive, muscular, beautiful revolutionary that we've always needed to go up against Batman and all of his uh, fetish for order and rubber. It's Bane. It's always Bane. It's always going to be Bane forever. I can't can't believe I don't get to rebut that. (laughs) Nope, no rebutting. That's it. There are lots of things uh, that make a Batman antagonist uh, great, but there is something that also makes a Batman antagonist limited. You have one movie, you have an actor that ages and joins the Marvel Universe or the Sony spinoff Marvel Universe. You have entire reboots of the character into video games or animated spinoff movies. But what you have with Mark Hamill's The Joker is a Batman that will meet you at any age, at any time, in multiple mediums, and somehow becomes the thing Mark Hamill's going to be remembered for instead of that weird space trilogy. Mark Hamill's The Joker is Batman's greatest antagonist and always will be. That means we're done I love and I get to spike the football. Alienated <laughs> the Star Wars fans right at the end. Good job. Yeah. I mean, I alienated half the Star Wars fans. People who didn't like The Last Jedi are like, finally, Dave spitting some truth on this podcast. <laughs> so, boom. <laughs> Listen, the way you win a democracy poll-based podcast is by appealing to the most number of people. So, guys, you find our poll for Batman's greatest or antagonist. Or women. Or women. Guys in the general sense. Sure. People, find our poll for Batman's greatest antagonist on TheRinger.com, on at Ringer, at Twitter, and in the Spotify app, where you find Trial by Content. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. And it will be fantastic. Uh, Neil, speaking of next week, mm-hmm. what, are we, what will we be throwing into the trial by content ring? Well, Dave, it's Oscar week next week. And because the Oscars are so often wrong, we're debating what is the most egregious best picture snub of all time. We are looking for the best movie that was never nominated for best picture. And if you would like to get involved, you can send your answer with a solid, I guess usually a paragraph is good for us to read on the podcast. Send it over to trialbycontent at gmail.com and you have a very strong chance of being featured on the pod. So never nominated is the parameter here. Not nominated for best picture specifically. Not nominated for best picture. Okay. Best picture snubs next week to play into the Academy Awards season. But until then, we will all be our own types of vengeance, waiting to hear what you have to say about Batman's greatest antagonist, 
Don't let Neil win. Don't let Dave win. I win. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubogan. Going low. See, Mark Hamill sounds like he's been a smoker for a long time. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> Batman. 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 Like that? Carlos, you put all put, these put at all the end it. of the episode. This is just like the after the credits stinger for this episode. Just... Batman. <laughs>